was many, many years ago when a close friend of mine was getting ready to walk the wedding runner at his wedding. And uh, as a prospective groom, he was incredibly excited and, and looking forward to it. And just before the ceremony began and he walked out with his groomsman and the officiating minister, he, he heard the music shift and, and it signaled that the, the mothers of the bride and the groom and the grandparents were being seated and it was just about game time. And it was at this moment that the officiating pastor asked him what he thought was an innocuous question. And he asked him, are you nervous? And my friend knew that he was marrying the right girl. He, he knew that this was something that was the right time and the right reasons and probably more than likely had the honeymoon on his mind. And he just answered, no. To which the officiating minister replied, you will be before I'm done with you today. You know, I've, <laughs> I've thought about that a lot as a husband, not only as a pastor who officiates at weddings, but I've thought about that as a husband. And to be totally candid with you, there was a period of time early in Julie's and my marriage where I was afraid, where I, I was kind of nervous because there was something inside of me. I wasn't sure that I could do this as a husband. I wasn't sure that I could do what God wanted me to do what Julie wanted me to do and any prospective children that we might have and ended up did having that I could actually do the job and part of that I know was rooted in the fact that my parents had divorced and my mom and dad were married for 18 years before my dad hit the eject button and called a do-over and started a new family and, and and so there was something I was worried about that early on I thought man, is there something inside of me, maybe even genetically or physiologically, that's just going to cause me to whoop, freak out one day and, and chunk it all. And we were married for about seven years before I realized that I didn't have to worry about that. After about seven or eight years, I, I rem remember realizing I can do this. And what I discovered was an eternal, time-tested principle that helps marriage, but also applies in a lot of other different arenas. And that eternal principle is this. The best defense is a great offense. If you're going to have a great defense and keep the other team at bay, then you just keep your team on the field, your offense on the field, and they can't even create a problem. Think with me about next week's Super Bowl. Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos against Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers. Now, Peyton Manning is a lead pipe lock, first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, he's one of the smartest quarterbacks to ever play the game. But at this moment, Peyton is 39 years old, going on 123. And we all know that Father Time is undefeated. Peyton has definitely lost a step. His ball has lost some zip through the years. But Cam Newton, now Cam Newton, I don't know if you've seen this guy play. You may not even be a football fan. I encourage you to watch the game. If you enjoy watching people who are good at what they do, you don't even have to like football to be able to watch Cam Newton and just go, whoa. I mean, this cat is different. You know, all that stuff that he does on the field. But, I mean, this guy is a force of nature. Six foot five, 260 pounds, can run like a running back. And, by the way, 
throws a pretty good ball. I mean, he is a freak of nature in a God-honoring kind of way. He's unbelievable. And what that means is for the Denver Broncos to have a prayer of winning next week's Super Bowl, Peyton Manning is going to have to stay on the field and keep the Denver offense moving, moving the change, chains, scoring points. Because Cam Newton, as gifted as he is, if he's on the sidelines, he can't do any damage. Here's what I learned. Cam Newton on the sidelines is just as good as I am on the sidelines. There's no difference between Cam and me watching. I can watch just as well as he. Now, on the field, he is a hair faster. Just like that much. But the best defense is a great offense. And what's true of marriage and football is also true when it comes to you and me fighting through and facing the fears of our lives. Over the last few weeks, as a church, we've engaged in this series called The Year of Living Fearlessly. Because I, I felt and believe as the pastor of this church that God is calling us, the Lake Hills Church family, to live 2016 fearlessly to, to be disciples or, or followers of Jesus with everything that we've got, with a, with a wild and God-honoring, God-fueled, God-driven abandon, and to, to do so without fear of the cost or fear of, of what might happen, but to go after it with everything that we've got. But we've seen over the last few weeks that the reality is all of us, all of us have fears. We have uncertainties, we have insecurities, we have doubts that many times, whether we even realize it or not, hold us back from the life God created us to live, that hold us back from living what the Bible calls the life that is truly life. And so over the last few weeks, we've made the point to take a look at what God says biblically about some tools that he's put in our hands to fight through those fears. Now in baseball, the, the kind of the gold standard is a five-tool player. A five-tool player is somebody who can throw the ball well, who is fast on the base paths, somebody who can hit for power and average. They throw the ball well, they run well, and they catch well. That's a five-tool player. Well, in the context of faith, in the context of our spiritual journey, mature Christ followers are five-tool players. We have five tools at our disposal, four of which we've already talked about, that allow us to fight through the fears that so often hold us back. In the first installment, just by way of a brief and quick review, we rediscovered the fact that God gives us his unconditional love, that, that his perfect love drives out fear from our lives. We, we found that we also all are susceptible to one degree or another of that little thing called FOMO, the fear of missing out. And, and as an antidote to FOMO, God's given each of us a calling, that he's got a purpose that he's called us to live out and to fulfill in this life. In the third installment, I shared with you the incredible message from Pastor Greg Rollinger. And, and Greg, as many of you know, passed away late last year, but before doing that, he delivered this message on confrontation, confronting the struggles of our lives. Remember, the, there's value in the struggle, and Greg and his wife Lori and their four kids so beautifully 
personified that principle and lived it out as they faced his life-threatening illness that eventually took his life. That the, the struggle is where we find the strength to fight through our fears. And, and of all the things that Greg had to face, death was something he wasn't afraid of because of his relationship with Christ and, and what he knew was his ultimate victory. So there's, there's the love of God, there's the calling of God, there's confrontation with God. And then last week we, we paraphrased the great Barney Fife and we talked about fighting fear with fear and we really picked apart that phrase, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, which really means a reverent recognition of the absolute authority of God. The absolute authority, which is complete. It is absolute. There's nobody above God. There's no Supreme Court above him. He is sovereign. He, his authority is absolute. And as such, he is the judge of this world. And there's a part of that that can be a little frightening if we're not right with God. But it is also true that his authority is good and that in relationship with Christ there is forgiveness and protection from the judgment and the wrath of God and so all of those things contribute to cause us to get to where we are today and today is I will tell you an unexpected consequence of this study where we find ourselves today coming out of last week is something I did not see coming if you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, specifically verse 7. Now, this particular concept is one that is communicated. It is uh, illustrated in different stories. It's reiterated throughout the entire Bible. But Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 is as good a place as any to begin this morning. Because remember, we talked last week about the fear of the Lord. This is what the Bible says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge... But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, in the context uh, of the church family here this morning, this is the second service. You, you've all been up for a while. You're probably caffeinated. Many of you I know have already worked out today. I want you to, to turn to your neighbor and with caffeinated passion and enthusiasm, tell them, don't be no fool. Now make sure that you smile when you say that. That's very, very important. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom is the fifth fix for our fears. Wisdom is that fifth tool of a five-tool Christian. Somebody who is mature in their faith. Somebody who is putting it into work. And the word wisdom is so, so important. Now, I've been a Christ follower for a long, long time. This year, I will turn 50 years old, or as I like to call it, 50. But I never knew the full weight, the full promise, and the full power of this word wisdom, particularly in the original Hebrew. Now, the word wisdom to the original audience, written before Jesus was born in the world, before he walked on the earth, before he preached, this word wisdom is really important. It's a great word that I, I want to encourage you to, to say and to kind of incorporate into your thinking and the way you look at it. It's, it, of course, includes what we think of wisdom, which is, you know, understanding and 
and insight that, that's a part of it. But the Hebrew word goes a whole nother level. The Hebrew word is actually the word chokmah. Chokmah. That's kind of a fun. If you're, feeling with, if you're dealing with some, some allergy problems and you have a little phlegm, you're especially gifted. Everybody say the word chokmah. Chokmah. That's a great word. And hopefully you didn't hork up anything on the head in front of you. But chokmah means not only wisdom and insight and understanding, but it is wisdom that leads to skillful living. It is wisdom that bears itself out in skill, in competency, in being able to do things and do them well. That's why the Bible says, by wisdom, God established the corners of the earth. By wisdom, he created the world. That means that God brought to bear all of his skill, not only his insight, not only his understanding, but his skill as a craftsman in creating and fashioning and shaping the world. So when we start to think about wisdom, the beginning of the Lord, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then we start to understand that this wisdom from God has to play itself out in the real world where we live. As a matter of fact, its, its usefulness actually is a great criterion. It's a great standard by which we can judge all philosophy, all worldviews, all you know, alleged wisdom of the world. Go, okay, that's great, but is it useful? Does it actually work? Because let's be honest with each other. There's a lot of what passes for wisdom and philosophy in this world that is absolutely out to Mars. There, there's a lot of stuff out there that sounds great and it kind of tickles our ears and we think, oh, yes. But here's a question. Does it work? Because God's wisdom always works. Go back to being married. You know, if you... If you do what the Bible says as a husband, as a wife, your marriage will not only beat the odds of 50-50 coin flip, your marriage will actually flourish and thrive because God's wisdom works. It, it, it is something that is useful in this world. There, there's a passage of scripture in Proverbs chapter 27 that gets used a lot. It gets thrown around, especially, I think, for in men's ministry groups. We use it here. Our, our men's ministry is known as the Iron Men. And, and it's rooted in Proverbs chapter 27. And verse 17 is the one that's familiar to a lot of people. But verse 18 actually explains it. Verse 18 actually shows us how it plays out in the world. Look at what it says. Proverbs 27, 17 through 18. As iron sharpens iron... So a friend sharpens a friend. As workers who tend to fig tree are allowed to eat the fruit, so workers who protect their employer's interests will be rewarded. Whoa. All of a sudden, that, that's, that's not just pie-in-the-sky philosophy, you know, kind of out in the ether, what the angels dream about. That, that gets to be really, really real in a heartbeat. You know, we love Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. So one man sharpens another. That, that's integrity. That, that's accountability. 
You, you bet. You, yeah, you do that. You, you have your quiet time. You, you read your Bible. You love your wife. You don't kick your dog. You be a good guy. But may I just tell you that if your concept of being a Christian is being a good guy or a good girl, you don't have a clue in the world what you're talking about. Now, being a good guy or a good girl, being kind, being a person of integrity, it does matter. But that's just the cost of admission. That, that's just for openers. That's just where we begin as an expectation. But in God's economy, this idea of chokmah, of wisdom, means that integrity demands competency. It means that you're good at something, that you've got a skill that you can offer. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, so one friend sharpens another. That iron better be sharpened for a purpose, cuz. What's the point? If you're just sharpening iron, just sharper. <laughs> but what are you using that sharp iron for? You've got skills. You've got talents and gifts that I don't have. We're called to use them. In this world and then it says if we can use them in the marketplace if if we can use it to protect our employers interests then we will be rewarded you see what this idea of wisdom is is doing is it's eradicating the basis of a lot of our fears I, I think a lot of our fears are based on the false assumption of victimhood that somehow life just happens to us and we, we hope we can get that job. We hope we can keep that job. What if my kids turn out wrong? What, what if they make bad choices? What, what if, what if, what if? As if life just happens to us. The wisdom of God is proactive. Wisdom works. Wisdom is useful. It's not useless. It's not just something that you put on a shelf and break out on Sunday morning. Wisdom, according to God, in his economy, wisdom works. And so Christ followers among everybody in the marketplace, among everybody at the playground, Christ followers ought to be skilled at what we do. We, we ought to be people who are sharp, People who, when we walk in the door, the rest of the team goes, man, I'm glad that girl's on our team. Or when we show up at the school to help out, like, man, I cannot believe that he volunteers up here like this. He is so good with the kids. He's really, tr I mean, he's engaged and he's good with them. Wisdom works. Iron sharpens iron for a purpose. I remember exactly where I was when Proverbs 27, 17 came into laser-like focus for me. It was actually just a few years ago. I had I'd heard this verse for years. But a few years ago, I was at an Ironman event that our church had. We were, we were gathered up, and, and a lot of the guys in our church were out shooting skeet, looking at wild game, and, and just kind of, you know, being men. Yeah. There was a lot of grunting going on that day. And I was walking around shooting skeet, talking to people and visiting, and I saw my son Joseph walking up a little bit late. He was late because he had had football meeting at school. That, that year, he was a freshman playing quarterback. And as such, this was his first time to ever sit through a film session. 
It was his first time to ever go through game film. They had a scrimmage on the night before, and then that Saturday morning had an early morning meeting for game film. And then as I saw him walking up, I said, hey, man, how are you doing? How was, hey, how was game film today? And I'll never forget, Joseph looked back at me and said, Dad, it was terrible. I said, terrible? Why? He goes, well, you know, because I play quarterback, coach spent 20 minutes going forward and backward over every mistake I made last night. And I said to him, just off the cuff, I said, Joe, man, I get it. That, that is not fun. But if you can learn to grow from game film, you'll be about 95% ahead of the curve because most people never learn how to take accountability. And as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I went, bing, that's a spiritual law. We all need game film. We all need accountability. We all need people in our lives who will speak truth in us so that we get better. Yes, that we get better and grow in our relationship with God and learn what that means and what it looks like. And we get better and we grow in our skills, in our areas of, of expertise and what we do. You've got an amazing array of talent that God placed in you. Now, most of us in this room will never, ever scare Cam Newton for his job. Most of us, if, if you walked into the room or if I walked into the room and said, Cam, Mac Richard, I'm pastor of Lake Hills Church. Nice to meet you. I don't think Cam would be like, whoa, man, keep this guy off the field. I'm, I, he may take my job. He'd be like, seriously? All right. But you know what? I'm not called to be quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. I'm, I'm not completely gifted to be able to pull that off physically. You've got gifts and talents I'll never know. And as such, we have a responsibility before God to put those out into the world. And when you get good, when you develop your skills, Watch fear dissolve. Fear dissolves in a pool of God-honoring skill, God-honoring confidence that is rooted in God-given competence. Our confidence flows out of our competence, which when we understand how that fits into our faith, the sky's the limit. Four things we need to do. And, and I, want to, I want to get through this, but I want to make sure that you understand the spiritual and the practical side of this. Number one, discover your skills. Discover your skills. As soon as I said the sentence, you have skills, some of us, maybe even many of us went, oh, I don't know. I don't play the piano so good. I, you know, I'm okay at math, but so? You have skills. If you have breath, you have skills. God created you, first of all, for a relationship with him, but also to glorify and honor him. And as such, he's put tools in your belt to use for his glory. So what are they? What, what are the skills that, that you have at your disposal? You remember when, when God called Moses to lead Israel out of Egyptian slavery? 
He appeared to him in the burning bush, the Bible tells us, Exodus chapter 3. And he said, Moses, you will speak for me. You will speak to Pharaoh. You will speak to the nation of Israel, and you'll lead them out of slavery into the promised land. And Moses freaked. That's in the original Hebrew. Moses freaked. And he says, he said, God, 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 God I, 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 don't, I don't talk so good. That's not my bag. I mean, I, now, if you need me to shepherd, man, I am your boy. But I, I don't talk so good. And, and God said, Moses, what's that in your hand? What, what, what is that in your hand? Moses said, well, it's, it's, my, it's my shepherd's staff. God said, throw it down. He threw it down, and God moved supernaturally as only God can, and the staff became a snake. And then God said, Moses, pick it up. But don't just pick it up. Pick it up by the tail. Now, I've watched a lot of Animal Planet. If you're picking up a snake, the tail is not the way to go. But Moses followed God's instruction, and when he picked that snake up by the tail, it became his staff again. And God said, this and more I will do through you. Don't tell me what you can't do. When I call you to do something, I've gifted you for it. What's that in your hand? What's that in your hand? What is it that you have that you can put to work and, and discover Whoa, this, this is something that, that God can use. This is actually a, an expression of faith. When you start to search for and discover your skills, it's like, it's literally, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a treasure hunt. And for a lot of us, our skills are buried deep inside, but they're there. You ask God, God, what, what are my talents? What are the skills you want to use? Discover those skills. Number two, develop your skills. It's one thing to go, well, there you go. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I, I can do X, Y, or Z. But we have a responsibility before God to develop our skills, to, to take them and then practice, get better at it, hone that skill, sharpen it, to, to develop your skill, that, that's, that's, that's iron, sharpening iron. Get with somebody who's better at your skill than you are and ask them to make you better. You know that statistically, people are more afraid of public speaking than they are of dying. That's just a statistical fact. For some reason, I have never, ever been afraid to speak in front of people. The responsibility drives me to my knees, but just doing this is not hard for me. But in the last eight or nine months, at 49 years old, after 18 and a half years of pastoring Lake Hills Church, I will tell you, God is sharpening me. God is working on me hard to get better at the craft of communicating, of preaching. And so I'm spending more time now doing what, I've, doing what I do than I ever have. Man, when we first started as a church and and there were about 45, 50 people showing up week in and week out in that cafetorium. Hours and hours I would spend preparing to preach. I, I would preach to, to trees. I would preach to, to furniture in my office, just trying to get better. And like I said, about eight or nine months ago, God really started working on me and going, Mac, 
You've got, you got room to go. You, you need to get better at this. So develop that skill. Work at it. Hone it. Get feedback. Number three, demonstrate your skill. Demonstrate it. You know, if you just kind of discover it and then develop it, it's just kind of all internal at that point. At some point, you got to put that skill out there into the world. And that can be a scary thing. That's where a lot of us get hung up because we're afraid to, to, to put ourselves out there, to put, to put it out there. One of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Stephen Pressfield. Pressfield's a fascinating guy. He's a, he's a former Marine. He's an author. He's written books like The Legend of Bagger Vance and uh, Gates of Fire about the Spartan Battle of Thermopylae. He's a military historian. But one of his greatest works is, is a short little book that I love called The War, The War of Art. Not the art of war, but the war of art. And Pressfield talks about how difficult it is to put yourself out there as a writer. Now, that, that's his perspective in his arena. But I want you to see, to hear what he writes and, and see if it doesn't ring true for your art, for your skill. He says, it's not the writing part that's hard. What's hard is sitting down to write. What keeps us from sitting down is resistance. Resistance is the most toxic force on the planet. To yield to resistance deforms our spirit. It stunts us and makes us less than we are and we're born to be. If you believe in God, and I do, you must declare resistance evil. For it prevents us from achieving the life God intended when he endowed each of us with our own unique genius. That, ladies and gentlemen, is chokmah. That is wisdom that leads to skill in living, in putting it out there. God created you with a particular, with a unique genius. Tell your neighbor right now, maybe the person you came to church with today, you're a genius. Wives mean it. Be sincere. But, but in order for that to come out, you've got to overcome that resistance. You've got to push through it and go, if God gave it to me, he wants to use it somewhere. God blesses skill that blesses others. God blesses skills that bless others. That's what he's saying in Proverbs 27, 18. The competent, the proficient worker who guards his master's interests will himself be rewarded. But, but there's, there's one component of this that if we, don't, if we don't do this, we're missing the whole thing. It's one thing to discover. It's another thing to develop. It's another thing to, de to demonstrate, and those are all important. Non-negotiables. But we have to we have to dedicate our skills. Your skill, my skill, is an expression of worship. Your work is your worship. If you're in high school or middle school right now, what you do at school, your extracurricular activities, 
that's your form of worship. Every day is an opportunity to worship God, to profess what you really believe about who he is and who he created you to be. Your work is your worship. This is what the gospel says in Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do, say whatever. That's not whatever. That's whatever you do. Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, your work is your worship. Your work is your worship. Your skill that you hone, that you, that you sharpen. You know, it's interesting to me. You know what happens when iron sharpens iron? Sparks fly. Sparks fly. There, there's, there's friction there. For the iron being sharpened, it's not comfortable. But man, there is nothing like a sharp blade to get the job done. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And as you bow your head, I want to invite you into a question. A question that flows out of this whole conversation about fear. The question is this. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Now, that's, that's very different from do you believe in God? The Bible tells us that demons, the enemies of God, believe in God. But to trust God is a relationship thing. When you choose to trust God, you, you trust him for wisdom. You trust him with your skill. You trust him with your very life. And that begins, and it's, it's held together, it's sustained. And it's all wrapped up in Jesus. This is the gospel, the good news that you were created for a life beyond anything you could ask or imagine. That's real, that's true. It's also real and it's also true that our sin interrupts that life that the relationship with God we were created to experience and to express is ruptured by our sin and Jesus offers to repair that rupture Jesus Christ 
went to the cross, and the Bible says he became my sin. He became your sin. And because that happened, he paid the price of sin. He died. Jesus, the Son of God, experienced separation from God, separation from life that is truly life. But he did so so that we would never have to, so that our relationship with God could be repaired. Because Jesus rose again, and when he rose again on that third day, he did so with the promise of a new life for anyone who would accept it, anyone who would take it for the forgiveness of sins and for the fulfillment of the life they were created to live. If you've never taken that, you've never stepped into that, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Just right where you're sitting, to pray a prayer of beginning. Just silently talk to God and just say, Jesus, I need you. And in exchange for your life, Jesus, I give you mine. All of it. I confess my sin to claim your forgiveness and Jesus, your life as my own. And I will follow you from this moment with everything that I've got. I pray this prayer, Jesus, in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. But if that was your prayer, I want to make sure you understand that this is the greatest moment of your life. And you're, you're amongst a, a family of faith that wants to help. And so it's an important, the most important moment of your life. We want to help and kind of the way that we get that ball rolling and start that helping is through the connection card that's in the program you got when you came in today. If you'll just take that and, and fill it out, your name and contact information, we always keep that in-house. And then indicate on that card, I'm committing my life to Christ this week. Tear it off at the perforation and before you leave, just make a brief moment for a real personal connection. Just hand it to an usher. Somebody's got one of those cool blue shirts on or as you walk out the main lobby here to your right, there's a canopy out there and there'll be people there. Just, you can just hand that card to somebody and just say, hey, today was my day. And know that we want to help in any way that we can. We believe with everything we have that we need you. Every bit as much as you need to be around people who want to help and help you grow. So that card just kind of gets that ball rolling. As our heads are bowed for just another moment, I want to ask you, if you just prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand high over your head to mark this moment. To make sure that it's indelibly stamped in your mind and in your heart. 
forever. Last day of January, 2016. This is your moment, this is your day. And we would love to be your church family. Family of faith, not perfect by any stretch, but doing everything we can to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. So when that happened in your life, we honor that. As you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together and celebrate that and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.